Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, partly political listeners. I'm Barry McStay. And I'm Ben Vandervelde. And we'd love you to listen to Worst Foot Forward, our podcast all about failure. Each week, we're joined by a guest to discuss the world's worst something. From superhero to astronaut, conspiracy theory to environmentalist, we dive into humankind's darkest depths in search of the absolute pits. And your very own host, Mr. Tiernan Duyeb, has joined us to discuss the world's worst political protest, where we learned why Pokemon Go is cruel to animals and why Milky Vomit speaks louder than words. On Worst Foot Forward, we've learned why rocks aren't really hard, why lacrosse can cause military catastrophes, and what cheese pairs best with seagull wine. While also uncovering hordes of rampaging mink, brothels shaped like vaginas, and why Pac-Man is the sexiest bunch of pixels you've ever set eyes on. Subscribe to Worst Foot Forward on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow us on Twitter, at Worst Foot, and join us for some fun-filled zero worship. And welcome to episode 78 of the Partly Political Broadcast. I'm Tin and Duyeb, and this week, as Prime Minister Theresa, I consider being unable to punch my way through a wet paper bag as a sign of strength, may insist the UK will continue to play a full role in Europe. I've been wondering if that's as the bad guy character or some sort of petulant child who eventually gets their comeuppance like Violet Beauregard in a sort of globalised Willy Wonka scenario. Exciting, and either way, I'm going to be contacting my agent about getting in as an extra who repeatedly facepalms in the background throughout. Yes, once again, to say the route to Brexit is a rocky road would be like saying King Kong is a chunky monkey. Not wrong, but a relatively huge understatement, and yet another way to unfairly tarnish ice cream. Theresa May went into talks at the EU summit last week, proclaiming that the EU leaders would have to take urgent steps to move the Brexit talks forward. A statement that could either be seen as yet again placating the hard Brexiteers, who like believing that Britain's incompetence is the EU's fault, as though it was part of EU law to put idiot pills into the water supply at Parliament, or perhaps Theresa May's call for the EU to take urgent steps to move things forward could be taken as some sort of cry for help, hoping that the EU will understand they have to dispose of her in some sort of honourable samurai kit so she can at least die with a tiny shred of dignity. Or, if nothing else, a cool Casa Samurai hat. 
French President and France's own milkshake canard, Emmanuel Macron, said there was still a lot of work to be done on the financial agreement, adding that we are not halfway there, which is a surprise to me as it really feels like the British government are living on a prayer. Disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox said in an interview that the government's no-deal stance was a negotiating tactic to scare the EU into giving a better deal, seemingly forgetting yet again how the internet works, because surely the EU can see that he said it's a negotiating tactic, therefore ruining it as a negotiating tactic. I mean, I've said this a lot on the podcast, but seriously, does no one in the government understand that other countries can use Google as well and see what they're saying in interviews? Are the British government assuming that the EU think they're super knowledgeable and a force to be reckoned with just because none of them are able to quickly do a search for what the actual lyrics of that Rihanna and Drake song are? Yes, it's happy. It's patois. It's not that hard. I often wonder if Liam Fox's neighbours constantly have to come round telling him that they can see he's making those sex noises all by himself while jumping up and down on the sofa because it turns out he didn't realise that his windows are actually transparent both ways. Labour leader and man who I'm sure is just waiting for someone to pass on a rare item they found so he can give them a clue to help them with their quest, Jeremy Corbyn, met with the EU's Brexit negotiator Michel Barnier last week where apparently he was treated as a Prime Minister in waiting. Although right now that's probably a lot like waiting for a public toilet where you didn't see anyone go in there and you're starting to suspect whoever's inside has died and will have to be forcibly removed by which point you'll have wet yourself. Jeremy Corbyn said the EU were bemused and confused by the lack of clarity from the UK government, so it seems the EU really are in tune with the British public then. The Labour leader also said that the UK should pay the EU what we are legally required to pay, a suggestion that the tabloids have already said is Jezza offering a blank cheque. Something that actually they'd probably applaud if he was doing that once they realised how financially screwed the UK are and how likely it'll be that the cheque would bounce. Meanwhile, in UK Parliament, Labour have defeated the Conservatives in an Opposition Day motion to delay the rollout of Universal Credit, 299 votes to zero. And this is because the Conservatives abstained on the vote, something I think they should be sanctioned for, for refusing to take part in a work-related activity. The government have no obligation to uphold votes on Opposition Days, but they have already made the Universal Credit Helpline a free phone number after pressure from MPs. So at least now it won't cost any money to wait ages to hear you won't be getting any money for ages. Across the pond, US President and missing link between a stomach ulcer and a blobfish, Donald Trump, defended his lack of comment on the deaths of US soldiers in Niger by saying that neither President Obama or other US presidents made calls to families of dead military. Something that is not only the sort of provable falsity that makes me wonder if he, much like the Brexit team, have no idea that people can just search for things online, and how many times do White House staff have to tell him they can see he's pretending Barack Obama in the mirror, because yes, these windows are transparent both ways as well. Following that completely expected fuck-up, Donald Trump told the pregnant widow of one of the fallen soldiers that her husband knew what he was signing up for, which I don't think is true of any of the soldiers who've been in the military since January of this year who were completely unaware that their commander-in-chief would have less decency than Joseph McCarthy flashing people in the park while shouting, ''How's this for a classless state?'' Donnie's comments resulted in both former presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush making statements in agreement this week about the need to live up to the American creed and a need to stop dividing people. If you've got Bush and Obama agreeing on something other than pet names for drones, then you know America is in trouble. Trump has announced that he will be releasing the classified FBI and CIA files on the Kennedy assassination, so if nothing else, Americans can see why Lee Harvey Oswald got caught last time and maybe try to make better plans for this time around. 
Over in Europe, the Spanish government is insisting it will remove Catalonia's autonomy and inflict direct rule on the area, which is like convincing your partner not to leave you by romantically tying them up in the basement and keeping them hostage for five years. As Catalonia looks set to declare independence this week, the Spanish foreign minister has said that footage of the Spanish police attacking protesters are all fake news. Yeah, you know, the footage that was filmed on the day of the referendum and some people even live-streamed. Yeah, he said those were fake news. Bonkers. I mean, maybe Liam Fox was right all along and the Spanish government doesn't have the internet. Uh, On the other hand, if that really is all a staged fake scene with thousands of extras and very realistic, horrific police violence, then we all know that an independent Catalonia could probably survive just on its film industry business alone. And lastly, the World Health Organization briefly appointed Robert Mugabe, Zimbabwean president and abuser of human rights and regularly also fashion, as a goodwill ambassador. Yeah, maybe the WHO doesn't have the internet either. I mean, really? Robert Mugabe as a goodwill ambassador is like hiring Bashir al-Assad as a clown doctor or Donald Trump as your social media guru. The appointment lasted no more than a couple of days before the WHO revoked it, making me more certain than ever that it was just a drunken plan that went way too far and I bet they cancelled Mugabe's position at the same time they had to find the phone number for a French polisher. Hey, hey! Oh my god, it is cold in my flat today. Uh, This week's show has taken four times as long to write and record than normal because for the first time ever, my MacBook is absolutely fine, but I keep freezing instead. And that is tricky as I'm not really sure how to restart myself, but hey, it turns out tea helps. Something is definitely not the case with my laptop, as I found out about a year ago. Anyway, I hope you are okay and you weren't too affected by the storms these past few weeks. Um, I know they've been terrible, but it was very hard to feel too threatened by Storm Brian, as my dad is called Brian, and so I just kept assuming that, like him, it would be sort of mild but continuous wind. Um, thank you again for listening in, and this week's show is, as someone said to me recently, a bit of a curveball. Uh, yes, it was my doctor. I'm in a lot of pain. Ha! No, it wasn't. But more on the curveball in a minute. Um, firstly, hello, if you're a new listener. Hello to the old listeners as well, and the middle-aged ones. I was sort of meaning new in terms of how long you've been listening to the podcast, but I didn't want to sound ageist at the same time. But now, I suppose if I mean it in terms of age, if I say new listener, it sounds like baby listen to this show which is weird hello babies right what i actually meant was if you're a recent listener to this show then thank you for getting on board this weekly shouting train and please please do listen back to old episodes if you get a chance as while the gags on those old episodes often stop being relevant uh, or funny if they were funny in the first place um, the interviews tend to stay very important and quite relevant um, as has been the case with someone contacting me this week about why i haven't done a bit on russia um, if you go back to episode 49 uh, where i interview Konstantin kissin a lot of what he said then still counts now um The website is in the process of being sorted, which will then, when it happens, allow you to find what the interviews were about on each episode. You'll be able to search for stuff that I've already covered. Um, But the website is largely down to me doing a lot of admin that I keep not doing because I have the new Philip Pullman book. And it's it's really good. There are peacocks called Norman and Barry. Barry, it's like Barry, Norman. But anyway, I will do the website soon, promise. Um, thank you tons this week to Sam and Helen for donating to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bro. And that does help give me more time to spend on things like the website or, you know, just buy more warm things so I can stop freezing in the middle of writing the scripts. Um, if you don't want to do a monthly donation, then you can head to ko-fi.com forward slash bro and give a one-off donation there or buy me a coffee, as it says, which I will, from now till about March, be using for a pumpkin spice latte because I've tried so hard, but God, I can't keep away. They taste like someone is hugging my insides, but in a nice way, not in a creepy sort of weird surgeon horror way. Um, If you 
you can't donate, then please, please do spread the word about this show. You know, partly political broadcast has never, ever been on the iTunes charts. And look, guys, it would just be lovely if Purple Bro made it there, even once, just once. I mean, you know, what helps it get there is reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, or your pod app of choice. And I do have to say this week as well, thank you to Rice Poppy for their iTunes review, telling me to keep up the good work, Mr. Unpronounceable. Uh, that did make me laugh, though if you really do struggle with my name, uh, try just throwing a T, N, D, and B into a word generator with various vowels of your choice, and trust me, you should get there over time. Secondly, uh, two admin things this week. Um, a, if you are in London, you've heard of London or you've read about London in a book or seen it in a film, I am doing my last performance of my Edinburgh Fringe show on November the 19th at 2 North Down in King's Cross. Um, it is only £5 to come and see it, and I'm filming the show too, so it would be great if it was full of your bums. Um, I mean, your bums on the seats, not just chopped off bums in a creepy horror surgeon type way. Um, I would like your face and other bits there as well. That's what I mean, basically. God, I'm really bad at selling today. Anyway, you can grab tickets for that show uh, by searching for my unpronounceable name on tickettext.co.uk and I'll be tweeting and posting the link endlessly from now until then as well. Um, an admin thing, duh. Uh, you might have noticed at the beginning of this week's show there was a pod ad for my pal Ben van der Worst Foot Forward podcast. Um, I will be popping a few ads for other Ace podcasts on this show over the next few weeks as they have kindly offered to pop an ad for this show on theirs. Um, it's just a nice friendly way of us all trying to share our delightful listenerships. And look, I don't mind you seeing those other podcasts as long as you promise you still love me. Um, this week's show, uh, right, that stuff, this week's show, Back to that curveball I mentioned. Um, this week, the guest is brilliant rapper and activist Awate, and we discussed a variety of things, politics and a bit of things, hip-hop, um, so it's not just all on one issue like previous interviews have been. Um, there is also a look at Russia's upcoming elections, New Zealand's one that they've just done, and, of course, Brexit, because apparently I hear it's still a thing. Weird. Oh, and because several of you asked, next week I do finally have a guest who will be explaining the situation in Catalonia, so I'll be leaving that until then. Then, by which point, God knows what will have happened. But look, apart from all that, what this show does have as well is a big old spoonful of this. On Tuesday last week in Parliament, it was Opposition Day. Uh, no, not a day where they have to paint everything black-white and everything white-black and pretend they're doing all parliamentary things in a parallel universe or that they're trapped inside a photo-negative. No, instead, it meant that motions were put forward in the Commons by the Labour Party opposition and they put forward for a pause in the rollout of universal credit. You know, universal credit, the new benefit system that successfully combines lots of different benefits and then doesn't give them to any recipients for ages, making their lives awful. The Conservatives have been under pressure about making universal credit something better than just a huge turd left by Ian Duncan Smith in the Department of Work and Pensions before he resigned and left others to clean it up. And Theresa May has insisted that universal credit is a system that is working, but that doesn't mean that it's working well. My system of getting dressed under the duvet to avoid being cold is working, but three times this week I've put my jeans on back to front. The pressure from other MPs, in particular to reduce the six-week delay in claimants receiving their first payment, isn't just from Labour, but also other parties and some Conservative MPs as well. And so far, it's managed to get the government to vow to change the Universal Credit Helpline into a free phone number, rather than one that charges people for calling up to say how little money they have. Which was a bit like a crime report helpline asking for you to hand over all the big notes in a bin bag before letting you ask for assistance. 
So that is a good step forward. But when it came to the vote about delaying the rollout, the Conservatives chose to whip the party to abstain because they have no duty to adhere to any motions passed on Opposition Day. And in fact, if none of their MPs shout no to the opposing team's eye when asked if there should be a vote on the motion at all, one doesn't happen. So, as it was, Labour had to get some of their MPs to say no just so the rest of their MPs could say aye and then vote it in 299 votes to zero for a delay to happen to the rollout, with only one Conservative MP, Sarah Wollaston, voting with Labour. The Conservatives did this with two motions on NHS pay and university tuition fees back in September as well, just abstained and therefore pretended it didn't matter. Because they kind of hoped that by showing up, they didn't take part and therefore they didn't lose the vote. And that's not really how it works. Otherwise, I'd definitely not have lost the lottery for quite some years now. Both Conservative peer Sir Edward Lee and Speaker Burkow stated how ridiculous this was, as Parliament is not simply somewhere to express opinions, unless you're Dennis Skinner, in which case it's totes allowed because they're funny. But also, the win in Parliament this week on Opposition Day means the government are now under much more pressure to change the six-week wait. And rumblings from backbenchers suggest this is going to happen pretty soon, as it's becoming harder and harder for the Pensions Secretary, David Gork, to justify the delay. At the time of recording this, Labour have just managed to secure an emergency debate on it, which should be happening any day soon. So while the opposition day motion and constant harassing from cross-party MPs hasn't caused an immediate effect, it is a system and it does seem to be working. There has been a lot of disturbing sexism unveiled in the last few weeks from all the allegations and stories about disgusto movie walrus Harvey Weinstein to various journalists and others being outed as the sort of people The Handmaid's Tale warns you about. And huge, huge kudos to all the women that have spoken out about the abuse they've suffered. I can't imagine how difficult that's been for them and I'm in massive admiration of it all. Um, And I should say, personally, I've generally not commented on it because I find it all really upsetting. But it is evident that, sadly, like with all areas of life, sexism is right in UK politics as well, with Labour MP and enemy of a sunny day, Jared O'Mara, being outed today for some really grim social media posts that were misogynistic and in some cases also homophobic. These were uncovered by blog site Guido Forks, a website that I'd usually tell you to avoid like a plague that keeps accusing others of being a plague, completely unaware that it itself is also an even worse plague. But this story is concerning because Jared O'Mara sat on the Women and Equalities Commission. Well, he did until he resigned from his post there due to the finding of these social media comments. Good that he did that. Although, also on that Women and Equalities Commission is Conservative MP Philip Davis, who tried to block an anti-domestic violence bill and speaks at men's rights conferences. So you have to kind of wonder what is going on with the Parliamentary Committee, whose role is to monitor the government's performance on equalities, but somehow contained O'Mara until recently, and does contain Philip Davis. Are they trying for a balance in the same way that TV does, say, a balanced climate change debate, whereby 99% of scientists are represented by one clever person and climate change deniers are represented by someone who shouts things that they've made up really loudly so it looks like it's equal? As well as resigning from the committee, Jared O'Mara apologised by saying that he made those comments in 2004 when he was only 23 and therefore an idiot. Because, hey, let's face it, everyone is an idiot at 23. I was, I'm sure you were. And in fact, if you're 23 and listening to this, um, you're obviously an exception to the rule because only class acts listen to this show. But really, look, being 23 is not really enough of an excuse for someone in his position to make comments that horrific. And if Labour were really smart, as well as him resigning, they'd also suspend him, and then that way they could be proactive in dealing with misogyny in Parliament. Although, now that he has resigned, it is sort of also up to the Conservatives to remove Philip Davis from the Women and Equality Commission, or prove that they have more double standards than an ambidextrous ensign. 
As long as Philip Davis is still part of the Women and Equality Commission, it's pretty much the moral equivalent of the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Committee insisting on only holding meetings at coal-fuelled barbecues. You know health tourists, right? Health tourists, you know, those annoying people who insist on taking a photo of you while you're eating quinoa or they keep trying to pay for tickets to the rides at the gym. Yeah, them, health tourists. Well, as I've said a trillion bazillion times on this show, they aren't a thing. With Full Facts website saying that health tourism only costs the NHS a tiny 0.3% of their budget every single year. But, of course... Actual facts haven't stopped new regulations being introduced today by the Department of Health that mean healthcare providers in hospitals in England by law have to check patients' eligibility for care and will charge overseas patients upfront unless it's considered urgent or emergency, and then they'll get charged at a later date. I mean, thank goodness for that. Considering how long it takes me to get my passport ready for actual border control at an airport, I can imagine it'd be a damn sight harder to do if I was bleeding to death. I mean, how would you even make sure it's scanned on the right bit? These new charges have already put one in three migrants in the UK off from visiting the hospital due to fees, and that has increased risks for pregnant patients and those carrying illnesses that could be spread as a result. The charges range from £40 to £80,000, with apparently the average being £2,600, which is a lot of money, and there have already been quite a lot of protests against it. If you too would like to complain, you can take part in the hashtag PatientsNotPassports on Twitter, call the Department of Health Complaints line on 0207 210 saying that you oppose these new regulations, or you can email the Department of Health via their dh.gov.uk site and follow at docs.cops on Twitter as well for all of these instructions too. Um, and please do that, because the more complaints I get, the more there is a chance that Jeremy Hunt might go, ah, this doesn't quite make sense. Because until now, this is really just further proof that over stretched platypus hunt understands absolutely nothing about healthcare because this is really not what it's meant by doctors having to save patients from an invasion of foreign bodies. So, as longer-term listeners will know, sometimes I like to speak to people on a specific issue. Sometimes, just to mix it up, I like to speak to a specific someone on various issues. And this week's chat is one of the latter. And longer, longer-term listeners will know that I'm a big hip-hop fan, and I have been ever since Carl Black handed me his headphones at the back of our science lesson in 1992 and played me Snoop Dogg for the first time, which blew my mind and made me miss what are probably important things about how pollen tubes grow. I mean, sure, my hay fever is awful every spring, but my sneezing is drowned out by some seriously heavy beats. You may or may not be a hip-hop fan. Um, like, you know, that's how all music works and people's tastes work. Um, but it's inherently a political genre, uh, from its beginnings to the black civil rights movement to today's world, with Kendrick Lamar using it to protest against police racial prejudice in the US or Eminem slamming Trump, which, oddly, we still haven't had a retort for yet. Though I'm sure it's just because every time the president tries to rhyme orange with something, it hurts his brain and he has to have a lie down. In the UK, the grime for Corbyn movement was a massive part of getting young people on board with voting Labour, and recently a number of tracks by rappers such as Loki and Dave have reflected on the Grenfell Tower fire and the incompetent UK government. So, while, as you'll hear from the beginning of our chat, he doesn't class himself as a political rapper as such, this week I had a chat with Awate. Uh, Awate is a rapper who I first met about four years ago and whose music I've been a big fan of ever since. 
His tracks are political and punchy, speaking out against class and racial inequality with serious skill over proper lovely head nod beats. His latest single, Jewels, confronts police brutality, social injustice and a with now and I reference that I keep finding myself singing on a daily basis. While Awate classes himself as a rapper first and foremost, he's also an activist and he caused a ruckus online after his Channel 4 News appearance uh, a few years ago where he said he didn't feel British because Britain tore his home country of Eritrea apart. That comment caused racist nationalists to get all upset and everyone else to go, oh wow, someone actually said that on TV. Amazing. Weirdly, lots of racists called him a racist for suggesting that the British Empire wasn't all that rosy. Weird, right? It's almost as though enslaving people and the pillaging of their wealth isn't a good thing or something. What is this? The modern day... Since then, Awate's been a guest lecturer at St Mary's University on the subject of architecture and utopia, and his music has been lauded by people such as Idris Elba and Frankie Boyle, as well as many, many others. I got to speak to Awate just before uh, he was going to support the amazing Yaslin Bey and Talib Kweli, aka Black Star, on stage at the Troxy in London, and we chatted about, um, well, loads of things, as you'll hear. Lots of politics and a bit of music. Um, and I should say that this was recorded in my living room, so there is the occasional traffic noise outside, and, as always happens, with any face-to-face interviews I do. The mic was right near Awate and I was the other side of the room. But due to my stupid, stupid loud voice, I'm still louder. I honestly wonder if I should have some sort of silencer attached to my gob at all times. Please don't write in and let me know. Anyway, here is Awate. I drop so many jewels, I can never wear a chain Take all of my words and insert them in your brain My boys are on tag like an inner city train I've been challenged to preserve the bank balance of the game Before we get into like, your music, right? Well, so one of the things I've always liked about your stuff I like, I like having political chats with you mm. um, But your music's heavily political and it, and it has been for ages But it feels like, as well as your music at the moment, hip-hop Political hip-hop seems to have a resurgence. Mm. Now, I'm not going to be completely naive. I know politi- uh, hip-hop started with a political element and, you know, we can look way back to public enemy and things like that. But right now, at the moment, 2017, political hip-hop seems really big, mm. um, particularly in the UK with, with your stuff, with Loki's Curve come back and we've got um, Santan Dave just released his track Question Time the other mm. week. Do you feel like now is a good time for political hip-hop? Why is it kicked back off? So... So firstly, and this, this isn't in any way a slight at you or a slight at, at, at anyone really, but I wouldn't say I'm a political hip-hop artist. I'd say I'm a hip-hop artist and I'm a complete hip-hop artist. And I've been rapping for 13 years and I've gone through so many different stages of, of a, a rapper's identity. Do you know what I mean? Like I, thought, I started off rapping because of 50 Cent. A lot of my early music does not sound anything like this stuff. When I was 15, my music sounded completely different. I was around different people on a different kind of spiritual wave, and it was different then. When I was 17, my stuff became very dark and violent in, in terms of the metaphors and imagery became quite fantasy-esque. And, you know what I mean? Like, and then when I was 21, it became, you know, at each time I've gone through different, different things. And, and uh, being a battle rapper, being... Um, a rapper who raps on like pop beats to do remixes and having to learn how to cater to, to a popular crowd and all that kind of stuff. So I would say I'm a complete rapper, and the rappers who you're naming are people who have who are not who are not political rappers, but they are closer to being complete. At the moment, what we're seeing is if a kid is like 17, a kid's 19, a kid's 21, a kid's 25, they've been through trauma, their family, some of their family members have died, their friends have died, they're addicted to, to, to like, heroin, to codeine, 
and they're addicted to weed and they've got they've got they've never had money or they have through illegitimate ways they've got a song that's doing well let's throw them in front of the cameras let's put them in front of stages let's put them on interviews and let's just ride their very fragile mental health until the point to the point where they go through a breakdown they write some stuff on twitter they say something in an interview they go they like something happens to them and it's fine because there's so many other young black kids there's so many other young poor kids from the same environment who we can sign again rather than build a long-term career so what i'd say is the climate at all times has been has been fruitful for or has had a lot of uh, subjects for people to talk about if they do want to become political but i'm a political subject like my, my, i'm here i'm in this country because of politics everything that happened before to my family's history is because of politics everything that happened to me in this country was a polit- was political and because i uh, early on understood the context of stuff like uh why i was getting excluded why kids were shouting racist stuff to me knowing that it was racist like i've got friends now to this day who i've lived with since i was like 6 you know what I mean, from the same area as me, who'd be like, I've never had anyone say anything to me racist. Like, I've been there when people have, bruv, what are you talking about? But if they don't understand the context of what someone's saying, or even the way some old white lady's talking to them, like they're, like they're dirt, they wouldn't react to that as if it was racist. It's just, oh, they talk to everyone like that. Oh, yeah, oh, I didn't, I didn't, know, the, I didn't know that word. The, the, my head teacher called me a despicable specimen when I was in year seven. Jesus. In year seven. One of the most disgusting, racialized things I ever heard in my life. If you understand slavery, you understand black people were sold and and bought and were seen as animals. You'll understand that. But if you didn't understand, and I didn't at the time, it was when I told a black member of staff and my parents that they were like, "What?" You know what I mean? So I've had friends who they've been called despicable specimens by security guards, by police, by teachers, by by just a lady on the street, by a man on the street, and that's happened to them. But if they don't understand the context of it then no one understands. Dave is an intelligent young man. Dave's got two brothers who are in jail. Dave right. is informed by politics, so obviously his older brothers are telling him stuff. Um, Loki, I would say, maybe is a political hip-hop artist, but I wouldn't want to call him that because I didn't, I'd ask him first. Because when you call someone that, basically, it takes away money from their pocket, right. and it takes away audience, and it takes away... You know what I mean? It's like, if, if, for example, if a woman was known... To have been uh, no to nudity, an actress, no to uh, just put, put in a no nudity clause, they get fired. Like if a, if a, if a person making an music that started off, hip hop didn't start political, but it started because of politics, um, and is used for politics, and that's become sanitized. If that person wants to make music that is political, then you must like just shut shut them down, really. But it's not even shutting them down; just don't give them opportunities. Sure. But, it's, but what you're saying then, uh, which uh, I can understand from a, very much from a comedy point of view, yeah. is that you talk about political things because that is your life and it's what you care about and it's what you're aware of and it's what you want to express in your music. Um, and do you think that in... Uh, I was talking to you sort of before we started recording about the, the race disparity audit has come out this week, which um, I know you said you haven't paid much attention to. It, but, I mean, the thing is, that with the race disparity audit, what I've read from it is, oh, right, this is what uh, people have kind of been telling everyone for years mm-hmm. is a problem. There is uh, racial wealth inequality in this country. So but the government have now made it official, mm-hmm. uh, which means they're probably 
probably not going to pay much attention to it now it's released. Mm. Um, but do you think that, that, especially events of the past year, and we've had like uh, the, the Grenfell Tower fire seem to highlight to people that this is a problem when peeps, people perhaps have been allowed to ignore it for a while. So do you think this is also reflected in, in hip-hop as a result? Or in people's awareness, at least? Um, maybe for five minutes. Yeah, I think the news cycle moves so quickly. But there's so many events happen, so it's weird because it's like stuff happens a lot more frequently. Mm. There's less time in between tragedies, um, which means that more tragedies happen, people are more aware of them in terms of frequency. But in terms of length of time, things don't seem to settle and the story moves on to something else. Mm. Um, yeah. So I was thinking, I mean, just, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. like, you're basically displaced, which is one of your tracks that I love. Yeah. And you've got that line in it that I think just, man, is incredibly powerful. We don't care about your real estate. I'm, I'm from a real estate or whatever, yeah. which is, I'm, I'm telling that badly. It's like when a comedian yeah, yeah, yeah. tells you your own joke, and you're like, shut up, that's not how you say it. But, um, but like you released, well, I know that came out in 2016, but you brought the video out uh, before the summer. Yeah, and because it took nine months to conceptualise and to make and to get the costume made. Like, I made that film. Right. I paid for that film, I made that film, I spent... Me and my friends and my family members helped me in that film. And mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, without... See, I, I probably sounds like a cynical question to ask, but do you think it had more impact coming out after the Grenfell Tower fire? You know, because it came out... It, it had it, That had a real punch. I heard it a year ago, yeah, yeah. and it felt like, uh, as as a listener, it had a punch yeah. when, I, when I saw the video yeah. that I don't think it had... I mean, it still was punchy a year ago, but do you know what I mean? It carried extra weight because of life and yeah, the news. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. No, I think it did. And, like, there, there was even... I had a, had a thought. At one point, I was going to write... I was going to have a dedication at the end of it. Um, it was, like, generally to victim. I was going to write, like, dedicated to the victims of of misplaced or, like, failed, the failed utopia of social housing. Something like that. And then I was like, nah, just just leave it. Like, let the art speak for it. I always, like, my main thing is like, nah, edit, delete, 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 yeah. delete. That's why all my songs are a minute and a half. Like, like all you're getting is, is that. Um, and I think I don't know. I've got no idea. I still think. I mean, it's got what like five thousand views on YouTube, and like the different Facebook trailers, the Trey Facebook trailer. And the Instagram trailers have maybe like a couple thousand each. Like, I want that video to have like a few million hits. Like, I should have gone, I wanted it to go viral, man. And it didn't for some reason. Not for, the reason is because I don't know. I need the attention. Um, but it's there in my back catalogue. Mm. And I made it at a time when stuff was happening on my estate. And unfortunately, something happened that was being war- like what people were warning about um, in between the time that I'd made the song and I released the video um, to make it seem more timely but I don't know I think that those kind of things are going to happen forever like we're involved in a time where like we are in, in a long term period of time where class war is going on and Poor people will be killed and there's genocides going on. And the people in that building, a lot of them being from other countries and not countries that were torn apart by imperial powers, 
like their families are going through in going through that right now, whether the families are in Eritrea, whether the families are in in Libya, in Syria, whether the families are in like Honduras, there's like natural disasters going on and yeah, it, it brings I don't know, for me it's like it brings the the trauma and the the the, the living hell of like the rest of the world and like and the calm that we are in here to, to the forefront of people's minds. And I think with Displaced as well, I'm, I'm trying to... It, first of all, before the estate stuff, being displaced from my estate and I can't live in Maiden Lane anymore, first, like, I'm displaced from my country. So it's about those ties. And like, another thing in Displaced is that my estate, Maiden Lane, and I could tend to spend and hours talking about this, but really quickly, is a modernist, brutalist project. And my country, Eritrea, was used as a playground by Italian architects when my country was colonised by Italy. It was used as a playground for Italian architects who were graduating. And my Eritrean people were used as slaves to build these things. So the, the, the culmination of that, of, of them practising on my country, the different architectural marvels and different architectural kind of like le leaps forward that were made was my estate that I lived in and that also was turned into a gentrification war zone with um, all of the different places of, of wealth that have moved in. Wow, so, like, so that's something I know absolutely nothing about, and I know yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's like I briefly mentioned when I dropped your line yesterday that you that was you did um, some guest lectures at Queen Mary's University on architecture and utopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, probably where we should start actually is uh, something that um, uh, you're talking about. You felt displaced from your country, is something that I've heard you talk about before. But your parents were from Eritrea. Were you born? Were you I'm born in the UK? Eritrea. You're from Eritrea, right? Boom. That's how we right. start everything. Right. <laughs> so, like, but all, I'll say I'm from Camden as well. So those are my two. Right. My two Places, places of of origin are Eritrea, generally, <laughs> and because I know, yeah. Anyway, and Maiden Lane Estate, Camden, and I say in Jules, I'm a, I'm from a place where I've never been, like, yeah. So my parents were born in Eritrea. My parents lived in Eritrea during the during the 30-year war that ended the day I was born. And I was born in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, already displaced, so already in the diaspora, in, in the Eritrean diaspora, which is worldwide. And then I came here, so double diaspora. So were your parents, were you essentially stateless at that time? Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't have Saudi citizenship. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we, yeah, I don't know if we were stateless, but yeah. Because one of the things that I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching your interview on Channel Four a couple of years uh, from I think it was twenty fourteen, wasn't it, yeah, when you did yeah. that? Um, but one, but one of the things you say on that was that you, your parents had to come, you and you had to come to the UK because of what countries like the UK did to Eritrea. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, but I don't know if enough people, uh, and it's like you said, it's, it could be an hour conversation itself. But I feel like I don't know if enough people know about the Thirty Year War. What kind of um, I, I can't ask you to sum that up. It's Thirty Year War. I can't ask you to sum that up in a few minutes. But what can you kind of uh, what was the what was the situation that, that led to you coming to the UK? What I'm trying to think of a yeah, good way yeah. to put this question that doesn't require you giving us like yeah, yeah, yeah. telling me for two hours um, and, and you know. So first of all, 
people don't even know my country exists. Do you know what I mean? Like, most of the time, people are away from when I say, and they say, where? Um, that's that's no, something you face all the time. Like, being Eritrean, being from a lot of different countries as well. Um, yeah, so from, like, wow. Okay, the thing with me is that I love context. So I was about to start literally in 6000 BC. At right. first I started in the 50s. Then I started in my head in the 40s. Then I started in 1890. Then I was like, nah. You might as well go back to the beginning. Anyway, Eritrea is... Um, if, if I can't... Anyway, a lot of... East Africa, humans have been in Eritrea long, like for as long as humans have existed. For Basically, East Africa, the Red Sea... Noah, all of that. Mo- was it Moses? Crossed from the Red Sea from one side to the from Egypt side to the other side, right? Which is the same thing that my mom did, anyway. So I'm not saying I'm Moses, but yeah, there's so much imagery. There's so many like the Ark of the Covenant is meant to be like hidden there. There's a lot of crap. But Queen of Sheba, um, we invented you know coffee, the best food. Anyway, we exist as a place. So like, for, like, you have to do that because people don't understand. Like, what are they going to be imagining? Like, some West Africa most of the time. Like the movie flipping uh, the Expendables. I don't even know if it's number one or number two, but I was on an aeroplane once and I put it on, and then it was supposed to be Somali pirates. Who they didn't give any context to them why they are pirates, how they've they used to be, you know, used to be fish, and then. Western countries came and polluted the waters with nuclear waste, and now they're like, okay, we'll take your boats now because we're dying, because we've got no money, we've got no food, our fish are gone, our trade is gone. And that film cast loads of West Africans as being from Somalia. So it's important to me to just give you, like, like literally like three facts about what we eat and, like, we mm. like coffee and whatever. And uh, anyway, so from 1890 to the 1940s, a colony of Italy. For 10 years, a British mandate Brit- and Brit- uh, under British administration, in which for 10 years it was the biggest, like, like robbery, like one of the biggest robberies that ever happened in the history of the world, um, in the history of humanity. Um, for 10 years, Britain took everything that was, like, that was tied down and took it uh, and, and removed it. So trains and all infrastructure, um, yeah, Britain just took stuff from Eritrea as the spoils of war. The World War Two, they don't teach you about how World War One, World War Two, and why was it called the World War? We only learn about Europe fighting Europe because the rest of the world they were just land grabbing and just using other peoples as armies and all that kind of shit. So it's weird. Eritrea fought with Italy. Do you know what I mean? Like on the fascist side. So what is right? Who is right? What is wrong? Jesus. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like when you think about who you are when that happens, like. Because you're calling out, like, your imperial fucking overlords with, like, bigger guns telling you you must fight against these lot and they're fucking with the Nazis, which means, are you a Nazi? What happened? Who's right? Yeah. What? Do you know what I mean? What is going on? Like, all these imperial powers just use, like, all the working-class white people and English people to fight against the, the rest of the people they don't give a fuck about to kill each other because, because they don't want to fucking slog it out and some people are eugenicists. Winston Churchill's a eugenicist. Who, what is going on? Do you know what I mean? Fuck Hitler, fuck Nazism, fuck fascism, 100%. But Britain is fascist, Italy is fascist, Italy was, like... Anyway, so, 10 years, Britain stole everything, and then the UN had a meeting, 
about what should we do with Eritrea um, and America, who were allies with Ethiopia, said, well, obviously the Eritreans have their own, Eritrean people have their own language, their own culture, everything, their own identity, but we see no reason why Ethiopia shouldn't just have control of Eritrea. Um, and that happened so for 10 years, for, for nearly 10 years, I don't know, maybe six years or so, it wasn't okay. Um, and then, like, Ethiopia, like, annexed Eritrea, and f f during those years, like, b the intermediary years, Ethiopia took things from Eritrea, and we, it just wasn't equal treatment. And then, in, in 1961, someone called Hamid Idris Awate started the Eritrean Liberation Front, um, and the name Awate means victory in the Tigray language, which is nine, one, of the nine, one of nine languages we have. And for 30 years there was a war, the ELF, uh, which was founded by Hamid Idris Awate, was the, for, like, the foremost, uh, was the, the main group fighting for Eritrean independence against an American-backed Ethiopian regime. And then the, that American regime of, of Haile Selassie was taken down and there was a communist dictatorship, the Derg, which came through. Um, and then Ethiopia was then supported by Russia, by China, by North Korea, by Cuba. So they had all of Ethiopia had all of these high tech stuff from the Americans before and now all the Soviet powers. And then the ELF split and the current dictator of Eritrea scumbag called Isaias Afwerki split the ELF into another group, the EPLF. He started that group when they went on a civil war against the ELF and used arms from the Americans to say, I'll fight against every, we'll fight against everyone. We'll fight against the communists who are now running Ethiopia and getting Ethiopia back. And they did that. They got their arms and used them mainly to destroy the ELF, who were the first group. And that kind of continued until uh, the EPLF had exiled the ELF and got together with groups within Ethiopia who were also being backed by the Americans to remove the communist regime there on the agreement that when that finally happens they would uh, give Eritrea Jesus. independence, yeah. which happened the day I was born. Wow. Which is why I was called Awate after the founder of the ELF and also the word victory because of the day that I was born. And then since then, yeah. it's been a dictatorship with, um, with uh, it's not Eritrea that's number one on, on reporters about borders, countries with lack of press freedom, and um, that there's an indefinite military service for all citizens, for all citizens, um, and yeah, it's just not good in Eritrea. But it's the thing that I, I feel hugely ignorant about is that it wasn't until a couple of years ago I think I knew Eritrea was a place. Mm. Um, and I think uh, in my limited knowledge I assumed that was part of Ethiopia or, you know, I, mm. I wasn't... Um, didn't have a clue about it. But it, it's it's been interesting in the recent... Um, I, I don't, don't know if you heard any of the uh, Labour conference speeches, but it was something that uh, was brought up by both Naomi Klein and Jeremy Corbyn was about how the Western countries need to recognise that we need to apologise for a tonne of shit and give a lot of wealth back. Um, and it was mentioned by two people, but it's finally... That was something that I noticed that you said in that 2014 interview, was you said you don't feel British because it's not your country and that you didn't come here. You came here as a result of... Um, what countries like Britain did to your country mm -hmm. and didn't really have a choice. Um, and we're coming for our own stuff as well. NHS yeah. is ours. 
we should take every hospital. You should be, this country should be left with nine and a half hospitals out of ten. Do you know what I mean? Like, if the world was to really say, we want our stuff back, they'll be left with one mile of road. They'll be left with just, what, like a grain of rice. If the, if the, if the rest of the world took what was owed to them from this country, there would be nothing. There would be no schools at all. You would have nothing. Do you know how many citizens there are in India? Do you know how many human beings exist in the rest of the world, in Nigeria? Do you know how many people exist in South Africa? How many human beings there were? Each one of them, if we were to div divvied out equally, how many people are within the sun not setting on the British Empire? Within that empire, how many human beings? All right, cool. Let's add up all the wealth, all of the, the, the everyone's sofa, everyone's like mill from the 1890s, everyone's like roads, everyone's like penny farthings, we, everyone's gold, everyone's stocks and bonds, everyone's diamonds, everyone's mansions and pro real estate, the, pro the, the worth of all of that. Let's add it all up and then divvy it out literally by dividing it by the amount of citizens or the amount of human beings that were in that empire, how much of that would have gone to, the, to British people? Less than or half a percent. This country yeah. should be one of the, like, in terms of if, if everything was equal, but how much stuff is in this country, most of it is Scottish oil that is making this country even live. This country would be nothing. This country would look worse than everywhere in the world. So, yeah, that's what I'm talking about when I say... We're following our own wealth. Like, I'm here for the stuff that my country built, like, here. Like, and, yeah, that's, yeah, that's... But it's something, I mean, it's something that people joke about, but the horrors of it, are, you know, like, people joke about the British Museum just being all next stuff, mm -hmm. but, it, but it is, and it's not a even, joke. Even the a... architecture itself is meant to be Greek, it's meant to be Roman, but that was stolen from the ancient Egypt, because all of those lot went to university in Egypt, but they will not teach that. They don't even teach that they were black people in Egypt. They will put flipping... Um, Christian Bale and Gerard Butler as being Jesus, yeah. the rulers of a black kingdom for thousands of years when there weren't many white people. They asked me, where is the black face now? It's in between the officers, boot and the cold hard ground. Zero wasn't new, it's happening all the time. It's just never... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
I will be back with Iwate in a minute, but first... Hardly Global Broadcast. Yes, it's time once again to remember that occasionally other countries do the politics as well. I know, it amazes me every time I remember. I guess they do them in their other languages and stuff too. I can't even imagine how confusing that must be. What are they like? First up, it's New Zealand, who have just elected Jacinda Ardern as their Prime Minister after the New Zealand First Party agreed to form a coalition with her Labour Party. Ardern has already said capitalism is a blatant failure, which, wow, that's quite full on for a first statement, isn't it? You sort of think she'd at least go in with, hey, well look, it's tried its best, but it is definitely out of shape, before then slamming home the full report with a massive F on it. She said that measures used to gauge economic success have to change in New Zealand, as she's already pledged to increase the minimum wage, put child poverty targets into law and build thousands of affordable homes. Which sounds great. So far, so dandy. Especially as under the right-wing National Party for the last nine years, New Zealand's economic growth has continued to slow and they now have the highest level of homelessness of all the OECD countries. Or Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development for all you acronym haters, SMH. So Ardern's leadership could be a welcome change, but there are a few issues. One being that the New Zealand First Party that the Labour Party are in coalition with are a nationalist populist party who campaigned on very restrictive immigration issues and were only able to form a coalition with Labour when leader Winston Peters backed down on his call for a referendum to abolish Maori electorate seats. It is always amazing how parties who are against immigration seem to be just as shitty to native inhabitants too. I mean, I wouldn't blame the Maori if they were anti-immigration. <laughs> With New Zealand first having nine seats and being the kingmakers in this government, they've been offered four cabinet roles, so there might be issues with policies that they're in charge of as well. The other issue is that the National Party had 56 seats to Labour's 46, but neither had the 61 needed to form a government. So add to Labour's 46 the nine New Zealand first seats, and that still leaves the government with only 55 seats, meaning that they'll have to make a confidence and supply deal with the Greens, which they're voting on this week. And that might be troublesome, considering the Green Party and the New Zealand first have previously just called each other racist quite a lot. Hey, whatever happens, it's a new direction for New Zealand under Jacinda Mania, as they call it, which I think sounds quite a lot like a condition, but hopefully for the Kiwis it'll be an extended burst of feeling great rather than further depression. Meanwhile, over in Russia, angry pork sausage in a suit Vladimir Putin continues to assume that in Russia, democracy reforms you. Next March sees the Russian presidential election and, considering Putin has been in a position of power since 1999 and is now running for his second term of his second presidency, a lot of Russians are unhappy with the idea of having this authoritarian who looks like a disgruntled outy belly button in charge for another six years. More than 80 anti-Putin rallies took place across Russia last week and, wow, 80 anti-Putin is quite a hard thing to say. And police made over 260 arrests, all because they support the opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, and demand Russian elections allow genuine political competition. You know, like you should have with a government. As it stands... Alexei has just been released from his third jail sentence this year, which he was given for organising unsanctioned public rallies, but kind of actually appears to more have been given them because it allows the government-run elections to declare him ineligible to run against Putin. Another contender, though, for the crown is TV presenter Kazina Sobchak, who is running as the against-all candidate, hoping to give Liberal voters another option to vote against Putin's regime. 
She was known as the Russian Paris Hilton, which isn't really much of a compliment unless they mean she's excellent at doing nothing of note. But as her career's mainly been in TV, there is concern that actually she's part of some sort of Kremlin plan to split up the opposition vote, something that she denies. Which, of course, she would if she was. Or if she wasn't. Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? So if she is that, and if Navalny can't run, then once again, there's no real opposition to Putin for the elections, something that is less strong leader of Russia, more only can win a fight if everyone else drops out. This is how Putin works though. Any critic gets silenced one way or another, like if anyone let Trump have more power than just being able to use his Twitter account by himself. Bill Browder, a British businessman who's one of Putin's biggest critics, has just been put on an Interpol arrest list and had his US visa suspended so that he now can't leave the UK to discuss with Canadian politicians about targeting Russian officials who are accused of the death of Sergei Magnitsky, who is Mr Browder's lawyer and exposed Russian money laundering of $230 million that possibly has connections back to Putin. And you start to see that this is all the thing with Russian politics under Vladimir. It's almost like they read John le Carre's novels for inspiration. And so that means that Putin is currently set to win. And he's currently set to win according to opinion polls anyway. But given that the opinion polls also come from Kremlin-owned media outlets, who can actually say what any of them mean? And with the last presidential election in 2012 facing a lot of fraud allegations, there's not much to say that things this time will be any different. And instead, it's just going to be another plebiscite election, merely there to ratify Putin's time in power. However, if there are any anti-Trump American or anti-Brexit hackers out there, hey there, you guys, now might be a really good time for revenge. Just think about it. If you listen back to episode 49 with Russian translator Konstantin Kissin, he goes into a lot more depth on Putin's regime, uh, so it is worth going to check that out, and I will do more on Russia very, very soon. But now, back to Iwate. And we don't care about your real estate. But is there, uh, and I'm going to play slightly devil's advocate here, but in the, do you think people, there is an awareness of this more now, which has kind of also caused the crappy retaliation of things like Brexit? Like, do you think we were reaching more of an awareness and that's why you get these kind of people that now believe their privilege is being taken away? You know, they're kind of bullshit. Possibly. I think, yeah, I think most of the, the, the concentration of media mm. means that, like, if you've only got three companies... Like and there's three owners who have the same ideas because they're all like billionaires, like all three of them. They they're not that different as human beings. Mm. Um, everyone's thoughts are going to be similar, and when they have vested interests, like don't look at me for your problems and all the other shares and companies that I own that like, you know, have prisons and private healthcare and stuff like that. I'm just the media guy, blame the foreigners and stuff. So you add all of that and the fact that there used to be 4,000 newspapers, it used to be 800 different TV channels, local networks and local channels and radio and where's Capital FM? Capital FM bought Choice FM that used to have a mandate to be on the air for black people. What is that? It's a dance music radio station now. Like when things get bought out and there's only three people who, who are giving their opinion, it's a lot easier for... The country where, where you think all, all the young people are going to be... Everyone's getting woker generation by generation, mm. slowly but surely, like, 10% of, like, you know, old people pass away, people with, you know, some of those were wokes, a lot of them weren't, and, you know, you look at Brexit figures. If Brexit happened this year, then it would have been, like, 58% yes, in ter- just in terms of how many young... How many people weren't 18 yet 
and how many people on the other side pass away and cannot vote anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, they say they say conservative yeah. membership dies off by two percent a year. It's something like yeah, next year it will be like ten years older or something. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mad. It's like um, so that kind of thing. You think the world is getting woke up, but then when the media is concentrated like that, um, it makes it a lot easier for people who watch those things and read those things and are engaged in just the normal, everyday kind of only ways, Essex, first dates, the one show. If you're watching those things, just like run of the mill, like so you turn on the TV on Saturday and watch someone cooking and like having jokes and talking about, I don't know, like how much they can't wait to see the Queen in cinemas or the next Helen Mirren film do you know what I mean like these people their opinions aren't going to be changed and they're just going to be told the same thing by the same three old guys billionaires do so I feel yeah Brexit happens do you know what I mean when those kind of people who watch that kind of shit are you know, mm. force fed propaganda and there's a, there's a real I mean I feel like there's a disparity between like I said that the race um, uh, race disparity audit came out uh, this this week or the, the last week as we're talking um, but there was also been uh, a big like the, the press have reported that the rise in hate crime has happened since Brexit again something that lots of people know but nobody mm. said was officially you know fact which apparently makes it now you know uh, real um, but there's a you know you're I know that you've talked about it loads before but you've been arrested a number of times um and Theresa May has said that she's curbed stop and searches. Do you feel like anything's improved? Do you feel like there's been any any change in this in the last few years, or do you think things are just as bad as they have been? So let me start off with fuck Theresa, fuck yeah. the Tory party, um, fuck the police, fuck the Crown Prosecution Service. Um, do you want to do you want to give us any background into just because no no. <laughs> No, watch the video for out here and just the first 50 seconds of that will give you an explanation as to, like, you know, the kind of meaningless fucking false imprisonment and malicious prosecution that I was being subjected to when you see the reason that the police gave for fucking trying to arrest me and shit. Um, but no, nah, man, like, when Theresa May is, uh, as, home, as home secretary, as the most right-wing home secretary in living, in, like, living memory for, like, anyone who's alive right now, like, <laughs> who's, I don't know, who's, who's the person that's been alive the most in this country, but they've never seen a more right-wing home secretary, probably. Um, she was handing the police powers off to G4S in certain in certain constituencies in certain districts um, in like the West Midlands and shit and she's trying to give them to Serco as well you can try and you know she's criticising the police at the police federation and saying I'm going to take away your funding you lot are all racist you're stopping black kids it's terrible to be able to take away their funding and give it to private companies she's not like she wants less police mm. She just wants her friends that own companies. That no, no, no one can make money off the police. Other than feds who just put in bare overtime, like with the scumbags and stuff, right? Um, she knows and went to school with people who work at G4S, people who have shares in G4S, have shares in Serco. So it makes sense for her to, 
take funding away from the police and put it in the same way as the NHS. Exactly the same. So all of our criticisms of the police are only used as a smokescreen to be able to have a zero... Uh, like, they'll have no accountability. They'll be killing people. They'll be like, oh, there's no video. Get the fuck out of our face. Don't, this is private property. Get, get the fuck out of our office. If your lawyer comes into our office again, we will kill them, hide the video of that shit, and then good luck doing anything in your life, ever. They will just be like, like Blackwater in the rest of the world. Like the U- we know the US government and British government are accountable for like there's civilian deaths with like a bomb or like a cluster bomb, but there's like individual like fucking soldiers that go and just kill children in the sleep and do raids and that kind of stuff. That happens ten times more when you work for Blackwater and you've got the history of having retired as a service person in the British or American Army or Australian, South African, Israeli Army. And you can join a private company and do that with no impunity. Yeah. That's what will happen. Every scumbag fed will join G4S and Serco under the cloak of Theresa May calling the police racist. Yeah, because G- G4S have got already counts, several counts of people dying in there. Yeah, 100%. Care, yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Mbenga for one. Yeah. And, and also, people forget with Theresa May, she and paid for... And as well. Let's not forget yeah. that the first thing Theresa May did as Prime Minister, after trying to her hardest to get this done as Home Secretary, was bring back indefinite child detention. Fuck Theresa May. Fuck the Home Office. Well, I was going to say, as well, the, the thing that people forget, she paid for a van to drive around with a billboard on it, telling people to go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... That's horrific. It was called the racist van yeah, yeah. by press, even you yeah. know, and uh, that seems to have been conveniently forgotten mm. uh, quite a few times now. Let me let me ask you about when I asked you about what you wanted to talk about. You 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 said on Twitter like private schools, and um, I mean, there's a, wh- where do you want to start with that? Is it just the general idea? Because I mean, this is something I I grew. Up, I went to state school mm. not far from here. Um, I still think I got amazing education at state school, mm. um, and I'm very scared about what's happening with the acad- academization of schools and free schools. Um, is it private schools in general? Are you particularly concerned about the idea of grammar schools coming back? What is it that you're worried about? All right. So when I was talking about that, I was talking mainly about music, right, and the music industry. And, yeah, but in terms of the grammar school and free school thing, it's the same thing as the police and the same thing as hospitals, same thing as health. They're just privatising education. Same thing as housing, right to buy. You can privatise houses one one by one and just let people think that they're getting a bargain on something that they're going to have to maintain forever. And when we knock down the estate that you've bought a house in, we're going to give you ten grand. Get the fuck out of our face. <laughs> like... Um, so yeah, that's in, in terms of education, that's what's happening. And Theresa May is pretending that she went to a state school. She, when she was at that school, it was a grammar. And right. it was like an extremely selective grammar. But it became, it became like a, a state school or so, like a hybrid when she was in sixth form. So she can pretend that she was at it during that time. Right. But when I used to play football with all the comedians in fucking Crystal Palace. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot your part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At one point, I, w- I think I asked Mr. Zoltzman, the Zoltor, the, the, the merciless, 
I was like, let's have a, let's switch up the teams this week. Let's do a private school v state school game and see what happens. And it was, it would have been impossible. It would have been like me and one other person against 18 other people, like, or against like, you know, like 15 or, or like 12 other people, man. It was not good. So like, I think, yeah, in comedy, it's, it seems like a lot of people like go Oxford, get English language. English Lit degree and then Oxford Review go Edinburgh it's like and then and that's the kind of path to it in hip hop music the path to getting kudos and then from there kudos and respect in terms of for your skill and craft is what's supposed to get you success everyone then is supposed to lift you and say yeah they're, they're next she's next obviously obviously she's next we're all going to support her He's next after that. Wow! Look at look at that person. Look at them. Look how young they are. Look how look how experienced this person is. But we've never seen like. But they they've only come in for the last few years. But they they've been working so hard and coming to this open mic and coming to that show, coming to spit outside in the car park at that gig and destroying the cipher. Like yeah, they're next. That's what's supposed to happen in hip hop. Problem is the music industry in this country. It's the most nepotistic thing in the world. So it means that if I didn't, I, I didn't go to private school, I didn't go to grammar school, I didn't go to the eating of, of entertainment, I didn't go to the fucking Brit school. Let's let that just sink in for a little bit. There are a lot of rappers out there who now are coming out of the Brit school. <laughs> so it's like... The moment they come out, they get a record late, they get a record deal, they get nominated for awards, like the Brit for Mercury, they get they get sponsorships with like high-end brands, really high-end brands. They get put in adverts, their music in adverts, because the board of directors of the school that they went to is, is record label, is the radio people, is this people, is that. And when it says on your CV that you went to Eton and you go up for a job at the Conservative Party or at a think tank or at an NGO or at whatever or at an admin company or at a fire, you know, in the city. Oh, you went to that school. Oh, and then you went there. You were in that society. Boom. Yeah, you're getting the job. I don't, I'm not looking at your grades or anything else. We know each other. I know you. I know your soul. I know who you are. Um, do you know I mean because this is um, a problem that I, I see across the kind of creativity board mm. in that the, the, you know a lot of schools now are, uh, are getting rid of creative subjects mm. um, in, in comedy now you're having a real issue where it's very hard to afford to do it mm. like and this is something I know as a self-employed person it's becoming harder and harder to afford to do it unless you've got some sort of inheritance behind you unless you're not if you're not having to worry about rent then you can go out and gig as much as you want mm. right If you, and, and is that something you're seeing in music a lot as as well, you know, because how does somebody get into the music business mm. if they don't have m- money behind them to get them there? Yeah, you know? I mean, it sh- and it shouldn't be money. It should be skill. It mm. should be a writer going, I've seen your stuff. And I'm, it's, do you know how much of this is bitterness? A lot. But, <laughs> but do you know how much of it is, is just like, look around? Like, I've done this for 13 years, so I've got like, that chip on my shoulder where I'm like, yo, I should have blown it before, but I'm really happy that now is the time that I'm releasing music properly and and I'm doing it on my on my own and I haven't got that much money. I can't pay for a PR company, but it's hard. Do you know how hard it is to get written about? 
when you didn't go to the same school as the writer. And, and like the editor of that blog, magazine or paper did go to the school that this person who claims they're a rapper went to. And their parents know each other because both of their mums have worked at The Guardian for years or Channel 4 as producers or they're script screenwriters or they're agents or they're working. They've been in this country. Do you know what I mean? Like for me, it's like, I've came to the country with nothing. But then I've got my friends who are like, they don't know about funding, about arts funding, because they didn't go to a school that gave them lessons on here's how to do your PR, here's how to do your funding, here's how to register yourself for copyright. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so hard. And in music, it, in hip-hop, it shouldn't be like that. It should be that way in pop. I don't care about pop. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But this is yeah. an art form that is based purely on skill and the, and the, and the exposure you should get should be... It should correlate with how skillful you are here and how... Do you know what I mean? Like, how hard you work and all that kind of shit. So, yeah, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's weird because people come up to me and they're like, what do you think of this person? Oh, surely you're a fan of them. No! Fuck, I'm on fire! Ah! Anyway, so yeah. But it's, that's it's that's something... how I feel about private schools and particularly the British school. Yeah, but that's understandable because I think, like, the, the, again, classes. Uh, in my view, I don't think class should permeate art. Like I think art should be from every voice. You know, and um, the 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 I say it's wanky. It wasn't. It was beautiful. But the, the phrase that always comes into my head is that I got to see Harry Belafonte do a talk a few years ago, mm. and he had a lovely thing where he said, "Arts is the gateway to truth." And he believes that yeah. the way that the, the I heard the, someone else say that recently. Oh right, okay. It's um, I say it as often as possible. Wow, but okay, it's, yeah. but it's, it's but beautiful that idea yeah, that, yeah. that we the artists present or, or like it's the way people view the world is through artists and through what they say. Um, but if you're finding that most artists have come through private school and they're only able to do it because they've got wealth, then you're not presenting a view of the world anymore. Mm-hmm. You're presenting a very specifically, like you say, with with the media. So yeah, yeah. you know. Well, but then some of these people, it's like, all right, my parents, like I'm working class, like I'm. I'm a single parent household. I'm underprivileged. I'm a person of colour. How are you going to blame me? Because my mum knew that this, that school existed and you only found out like when you left school or when you were in your last year of sixth form. And she told me, apply for it, do the test, and you might get in. And then I did. And it was also close to me. What's the problem? The problem is that shouldn't exist. There shouldn't just be one school. Is that like that's the same thing as grammar schools? We're like, oh, anyone can get in. No, they can't. First, you have to know that they exist. You have to have a private tutor to do the entry exams for most of them. Yeah, and and anyway, even in state schools, it's all fucked up. Like I went to a school where what paper you got given with the, with a maximum mark of for the top set, you can get maximum marks. You can get an A star for bottom, for middle set, the maximum. If you get every question right, you'll get C. And the bottom set, if you get every question right, every single question, 100% right, you're going to get a D, which is a fail for universities and for certain jobs later on. And those sets on my life were set apart like this. Top set, all middle-class white people, whose parents are, I found out, when, when I was in sixth form, all of them had private tutors after school. So their parents paid £25 for either one hour or £50 a night for two hours of tutoring for these, for these kids. They could have sent them to private school, but they didn't. They're too left-wing. 
Right, but they, but they sent them to a school knowing that their kids would get put in top set just because of their accent, because of their name, because of the colour of their skin, and because the school knows who their parents are because their parents can come into the school because they've got time on their hands. Do you know what I mean? Like, middle set was the children of the world. It was me. I was in top set for a few things, but like, and I should have been for everything, but anyway, I was, it was me, the Somali kids, kids from Turkey, kids from Afghanistan, kids from Chile and whatever, like, and then bottom set was white working class and Caribbean working class kids. And they were doing papers that would mean that they can get a D in, in, in the, the academic subjects they were doing. And for half the week, you lot are going to be going off and doing job training. The guys who are going to be doing electrician work and building and job training. Girls who are going to be doing like hair and beauty and learning how to do that kind of stuff. But that's how state schools are set up. Mm. Like, well, there's, there's no equality, like, there's no, there's no scope to be able to explore different professions and different... It limits you from the start, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a study, um, uh, I think it's from Anoush Kristani who does the Guardian stuff, I think it's her, I'm probably quoting this wrong, I mentioned it, I think, on the last podcast, but the, the, they, they, they tried to work out how, when the UK is likely to see a black prime minister, and they said that a... Uh, a working class white person to middle class white person is more twelve times more likely to be prime minister than than a black kid from any background, but a a white kid that's gone to a private school is ninety times more likely to be prime minister. Mm. So you already have the paths like yeah, yeah. set out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so look, uh, one of the questions I ask everyone on this is um, who. Are you like who? Who do you look for for political commentary? Have you got anyone that you can recommend that the listeners check out, look up, whether it's follow, whether it's listen to, whether it's read up on? Uh, give us a few names that that you go to. And I'm, I'm I remember last time I saw you, we both you were commenting about how you've got lots of shit open on your phone that you can't get through, which is yeah, exactly the yeah. same as me. So, have you got anyone in particular that you could recommend? Um. Oh wow. So in all right. So firstly, Jesus and Miro. Um, that's the name of their show on Viceland. It's a nightly, like, it's a late night show with two guys from the Bronx. And yeah, that's quite good. That's amazing. They've got a podcast called Bodega Boys. Um, one of my friends here has a platform called Flip TV. He's got a radio show as well, him, Nova, and Big Ben, um, where they talk, they use hip hop as a, um, as a starting point for a lot of political discussion. So you can go on their YouTube and watch, you know, hour long things or five minute clips um, and listen to their radio show. Um, Rachel Maddow is absolutely incredible in, in the way that she tells a story to be able to, you know, her A blocks, the first part of her show when it starts until the first advert is 20 minutes of like, so in and in whatever year, this happened. And I'm going to tell you about it for 15 minutes. You've got no idea where I'm going. And in the last five, I'm going to bring it to today's news story and how that links to this huge revelation. Um, yeah. What else? Um, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, it's the same. I don't know. Facebook, Twitter, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver, The Bugle... Two dope queens. Yeah, but I don't... I, don't th- I think the same way that in music, um, just within the art, you find the politics because it exists everywhere. 
I think just certain comedy things, certain musical things, certain ridiculous things are the most political or if they're set up as that art thing, when people come on, they're able to talk about things and make it about politics. But then everything, yeah, I think... Um, social issues. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can take out the word politics every time I said it in this interview and just put in social issues or truth or reality. Things become about reality when you talk about art or mm. whatever. Yeah. Cool. And, and what you're saying is don't start a interview by going, so you're a political or a hip-hop artist? <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. They kill too many people of my colour and my class for me to sit and be quiet. So why do we riot? Well, how about the government are just a bunch of liars? Cut funding for fun and wonder why the street violence. Big thanks to Awate for that. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Awate Music. That's A-W-A-T-E Music. And his music, which I played a few snippets of, um, and his new single, Jewels, can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all those sorts of music-type places. Um, he also has a new album coming soon, which I'm looking forward to checking out as well. Do look up his videos too, um, especially for Displaced, which is my uh, one of my faves. Uh, the video is absolutely brilliant. And do go see Awate live if he's playing near you too. Uh, the names Awate mentioned uh, were Deezus Nice, that's D-E-S-U-S Nice, who does the Bodega Boys podcast, uh, Flip TV, whose channel you can find on YouTube, and MSNBC's Rachel Maddow, who is on Twitter at Maddow, and whose podcast is available on all the usual pod places. On next week's show, I'm going to have a guest explaining the current situation in Catalonia, as I mentioned earlier. But as always, if you have someone you'd like me to interview or a subject you'd like me to interview someone about, please do let me know via at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Group or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or, you know, you could spend a really long time inventing superluminal communication devices and transmit a message to me via quantum entanglement communicators, but accidentally miscalculate it, send the information into the past before podcasts even existed, and therefore cause a logical paradox and problems with causality so no one ever makes podcasts, because instead we all develop extra hands for ears, which means glove sales rise and earmuff sales plummet. As always, it's much easier just to send an email, isn't it? Just just email me. According to Theresa May, important progress was made on Brexit last week at the EU summit. However, I'd argue that she didn't specify what we were progressing towards, because technically you can progress backwards if that's what you're intending in the first place. When May announced this to Parliament on Monday, Jeremy Corbyn said her update sounded more like Groundhog Day, which I don't think is right, because I really enjoyed Groundhog Day, and I think it's a brilliant film that was well planned out with a funny script which is hugely unlike Brexit. Brexit sort of reminds me far more of Adam Sandler's film, Little Nicky, which was so unfunny it made me feel unwell, and I spent all of it realising that it was just a wasted lifetime and a wasted bit of money on the rental that I'll never get back. There is no sign of actual progress on the Brexit negotiations, though, other than Theresa May just saying progress a lot, almost as though she hopes that if she says it enough times, it'll appear like Candyman and put her out of her misery. Instead, what we do have uh, from the EU summit was German paper Frankfurter Allemagne report that said EU Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker said May appeared anxious, despondent and disheartened, which sounds about right. He said that she was marked by her struggle with her own party, which also sounds about right, and that she looked like someone who doesn't sleep much at night, which isn't that the same for all Conservatives, because, I mean, when else can they fly around in search of blood unnoticed? Jean-Claude Juncker has denied that he said any of those things, but hey, all those comments do sound about right. I mean, except obviously him saying to a journalist, because he'd only do that if... 
oh my god, does the EU not know how the internet works either? Does everyone just think they have their own little web? What is wrong with everyone? Anyway, it seems that there is still a deadlock, because if Theresa May admits that the UK owes the EU money that it legally owes, then the ardent Brexiteers in her party will go bendy bananas. And if she doesn't, then the EU negotiations can't move on. I mean, really, any sane person would understand that the EU negotiations are more important than angry blue-blood nationalist dinosaurs who don't understand how contracts work, but of course, the same sane person probably wouldn't have chosen to do anything May's done in the past year because they'd realise they could have had the same amount of fun spending their days continuously tying their shoelaces together and then going for a jog. Any further discussion on the EU withdrawal bill has been pushed back due to the negotiation deadlock as well, so Theresa May now doesn't have to give an answer to Labour's demands for changes to the bill until then. Labour's demands are, if they ever get an answer, for MPs to get the final say on whether to approve the withdrawal agreement and how best to implement it. I suggest some sort of shot to the arm. Uh, The transition period requested by Prime Minister Theresa May is added to the legislation, mainly so her own MPs don't keep saying that it's happening. Uh, They also asked for a completely different approach to the use of powers that the government argues are needed to make technical changes to regulations from Brussels. Um, I'm not 100% sure if that means an approach that maybe involves Parliament rather than just the current power grab changing things without a vote stance or just an approach that's less creepy and not on tiptoes like the Conservatives might be doing. Next on Labour's list is a guarantee that workers and consumer rights as well as environmental standards are not watered down after Brexit, especially if it's polluted water due to the lack of environmental standards we'll have. Uh, Then there's a concession to devolved administrations who want repatriated powers that normally fall under their remit to go straight to Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland rather than the Westminster government first. And finally, they've asked uh, to put the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights into UK law, which considering how many of those were written by Brits anyway, makes quite a lot of sense. Shadow Brexit Secretary Keir Starmer said that if May doesn't agree to all those things, Labour will back Tory rebels to force a vote on the final deal if we ever get a final deal. Because really, this just feels like it's all going to go on forever and ever. Not so much like Groundhog Day, but more like one of those extended versions of a Peter Jackson film that really didn't need to be extended. Or, you know, the inevitable director's cut of Blade Runner 2049 that we'll get that will somehow be seven and a half hours long. In the meantime, the National Audit Office has warned of a big increase in workload for border forces as a result of Brexit, which isn't good because border workforce has been reduced by 4% in the last four years, which is why loads of people keep colouring outside the lines now. Ha! You see what's right in there. But what I mean is it's been reduced, so therefore to fill in those gaps we need even more people we would have needed before. And of course with gaps in other industries due to a lack of EU migration, the only way the government will fill those placements in the border control workforce will have to be to hire migrants from abroad. Excuse me while I laugh cry and cry laughing all at once in a frenzied inability to work out if this is funny or absolutely horrendous. The OECD, do you remember that acronym from earlier, folks? Keep sharp. Um, They have recommended to the British government that they have a second referendum and reverse Brexit to avoid an all-out financial catastrophe. The Creative Industries Federation has said that it will cause a severe skills shortage in the British movie, TV, music and fashion industries. And Britain's five biggest business lobby groups this week have said that unless a transition deal is sorted out ASAP, the UK will lose a lot of jobs and investment. Oh, what traitors. I mean, the thing is, right, whatever you think of negative comments, these people know what they're talking about and it doesn't sound great, does it? And this is what I mean, because at least Groundhog Day had a happy ending. Whereas unless the government can work out how to be nice to people and stop committing suicide, they will never ever get one at the dinner dance. A dance that's likely not to have any music at it anyway because of bloody Brexit. It's almost as though the government haven't looked on the internet to see what all of this is going to cause because they don't seem to know how to use it or something, for fuck's sake. 
That is all for this week's podcast. Um, thank you again for listening. No, thank you. Uh, no, 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 no. Thank you. No, thank you. And please don't forget to donate to the Patreon and the Kofi and review on the iTunes and elsewhere and generally tell other people to listen and subscribe to the show in conversation when you're asked a question at school or when you're being arrested or asked what you want to eat or, you know, just performing a play. Just in the middle of that, just chuck it in there. Chuck in a podcast recommendation. Mid-Shakespeare, I'm sure it'd really grab some people's attention. Is this a dagger I see before me? Or is it a new episode of the Partly Political Broadcast, a comedy and politics podcast available on all podcasting platforms, etc., etc.? Just... Just try that, guys. Any Shakespearean actors out there? Um, thank you, as always, to Acast for hosting this show and to my brother, The Last Skeptic, whose new album, This Is Where It Gets Good, and his podcast, Thanks For Trying, are both available on the WWWs. You know, that thing that the government can't use. I will be back next week when I'll no doubt be saying, oh no, Liam Fox has now discovered how the internet works and he won't stop posting cat memes, insisting that they are dog memes and that anyone who says otherwise hates Britain. Bye! This week's show was brought to you by the Internet, a brand new device that is really handy for governments everywhere to use. Just try it. Maybe don't start with Googling yourself, though, as that could... Oh, dear. Oh, dear. If you could redesign the human body, what would you do? On the Level Up Human podcast, we ask experts and our audience how they would change our species and let our comedian judges decide what upgrades to slot into our DNA. Our guests have included experts like Alice Roberts, Marcus de Sotoy, and Dean Burnett, and comedians Zoe Lyons, Hugh Dennis, and Paul Sinha. Evolve. Come on, somebody has to. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.